0: Good morning. What a beautiful day, right? Thankful. Thankful for the worship team. They point us to the Lord. We worship with him. It's encouraging, isn't it? We are walking our way down through the book of Matthew, and I want to to encourage you today that uh, this passage uh, should uh, call all of us to look to the Lord, to trust Him, to depend upon Him more. I think it's important for us all to also realize that this is, this this passage is put in a a bigger context. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. Uh, It's very important for you to understand that Jesus is speaking to his disciples about how they're supposed to live in light of the coming kingdom, how they're supposed to live in this world in light of the coming kingdom. And remember that the disciples don't really get the whole picture, do they? They believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but they don't really grasp that Jesus the Christ, the suffering servant of God, is going to have to die. He's told them. He's beginning to tell them over and over, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. But one thing strikes me that as they as he tells them this over and over, and we've seen it throughout, you know, after Matthew twelve, after the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, he He begins to tell him this that he's going to be rejected and after Peter had said you're the Christ son of the living God he says I'm going to go up and I'm going to die and what does Peter say remember he says no this is never going to happen to you Peter says this is never going to happen to you what question did they not ask why that's it yes sister they didn't ask why 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 would you have to die? This is the question they should have asked, shouldn't they? Theologically, it was just held from them. They doctrinally they couldn't grasp it. But didn't they know their Bible? Didn't they know how holy he was? Didn't they know Isaiah 53? Because Isaiah 53 says what? That he would be the atonement, in a sense, for their sin. As I look at the disciples, I'm I'm reminded that even in Christ, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the church still has a real problem with thinking way too small of God and understanding the gospel. And understanding truly who God is and what He's done in Christ. The way the disciples act, sadly, reflects exactly how we act often. It shouldn't be that way though. Because we're in Christ and we have the rest of the story, right? We know Jesus died. We know He rose from the dead. We know why He died. Right? So these imperatives that Jesus gives for the disciples to live should be imperatives that we all say, Yes, sir, what do you want me to do? I'll do it right now. No problem. No questions asked. Yes, Lord. Right? But then we come to a passage like this. And we're so much more like the disciples than those on the other side of the cross in the New Covenant. The love believers have for one another should be revealed because our hearts know how big God is and how much God loves us. And if we understand just how big He is and how much He loves us and how much He cares for us and and how much His Son did for us, these exhortations Jesus gives to His disciples should be privileges to obey. We should want to do it. But they're not easy, are they? This section of Scripture is totally contrary to anything that this world would ever say that you should do. But Jesus here is extre- is, is demonstrating and explaining the extreme sacrifice that love towards fellow believers should look like. This is how love towards other believers should look. This is caring for the little ones. Remember, Jesus in this sermon has already said that you must be different from this world. And in order to be different from this world, you should look like a little child. You should be humble and dependent. You should be like the little one. And Jesus has said you must treat your fellow beloved, or your brothers and sisters, different from the world. We're supposed to receive them with gentleness and kindness and love and. Also, we should be holy in their midst, right? We shouldn't be walking in sin. We shouldn't cause them to stumble, right? We should be thinking of others before ourselves. And In fact, we love them so much that we it would be better for us to gouge out our eye or cut off our hands than to cause one of them to stumble. Because we're thinking of others more than ourselves so much. We talked about it in counseling today. Biblical counseling class, it was really good. We talked about the asking the question about the question I've heard a thousand times is it okay for a believer to drink? Is it, is it okay for a believer to drink alcohol? And I I'm going to tell you what I say he it said there and you're probably going some of you are going to think I'm nuts and you'll probably come back later and you want to talk to me about it and that's fine. you're welcome to do it. But really the answer is, is why are you asking the question? Why are you asking me the question? Is it because you like alcohol? <laughs> or is it because you love God and you love others? It's a great question, isn't it? You say, there's nothing wrong with drinking if I... Love God and love others. I didn't, I didn't say any of that. I'm not even telling you whether or not you should drink or anything like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the motive of your heart and asking the question. See, beloved, people that know the glory of God and know the glory of the gospel, their lives are no longer about themselves. They're about others. And no, Pastor Mike just didn't tell you you can't drink. I didn't say that, did I? But the, the disciples just didn't have a full understanding of who God was. They didn't understand forgiveness completely, they didn't understand these things. And we're going to see it in this passage. The main idea of our passage is disciples are called by the Lord to continuously forgive because we have been extravagantly forgiven. That's the idea, that's the concept he's trying to get across, but I don't think the disciples fully grasped it, even after he had told them. But he was on the process of teaching them and helping them to know just who he was. The passage could be outlined... The following way: First Peter's question in verse 21, Jesus' answer in verse 22, and then Jesus' parable in verses 23 to 34, and Jesus' application in verse 35. Now, obviously, you see that the parable is what the main point, right? Well, if nothing else, it takes up the most space. This is one of those cases where the the outline doesn't fit parallel because the space is obviously more about the parable. But the summary is important, and we'll get to that. Obviously, the, here, Jesus is talking to them about forgiveness, right? And it comes on the heels of what? How we confront one another. When we talk to one another, if somebody sins against you, what do you do? When there's a brother or sister that's sinning, well, how do I handle that? It's very interesting that Peter, again, is the one that pipes up with the question... Peter's wonderful. Again, Peter's that one that asks those questions that everybody else is thinking, but won't say it. They're sitting there thinking, you know, even when I was doing some of my illustration at the beginning, you're probably asking those questions, and there's probably one of you that's going to come ask me. The others won't. But you wish you were there to hear the answer, don't you? That's kind of exactly what happens here with the disciples. Peter's just voicing what they're all all they're thinking, and we we would voice the same thing and say the same thing. Notice we'll start with this Peter's question. Look at Peter's question in verse twenty one. Then Peter came and said to him, "Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now when you hear that, the initial reaction is what? Well, that's not. Really a bad question? Is that a bad question? I don't think it's a bad question. Initial reaction, initial look, it's actually got a little bit of morality in it, a little bit of good in it. And I have to confess that even when I was reading some of the commentaries, some of the commentators said, hey, you know, Peter's got it here. He's a little better, at least a little bit better than he was before. I would argue he misses it completely again. Really? You know what's really interesting? That Jewish tradition at that time said that a person should forgive three times. If you forgive a person for a sin against you three times, then it was okay to say, hey, I ain't forgiving you no more. That's it. I'm done. Okay, so Peter comes and he suggests... Seven times? Boy, he's getting it, right? He's getting it. He really knows who God is. And understands just how great Jesus is. Because after all, Jesus's bar has always been what? Way higher than anything the Pharisees said. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Remember it? The Sermon on the Mount was, you know... Don't even look on somebody with anger or lust in your heart. Whereas they were, it's okay to punch somebody if they do something. You know, there were traditions and laws that it's okay if you do this in certain circumstances. So Peter's kind of of figuring this out a little bit, isn't he? What's he thinking? He's thinking, it seems to be, well, it's not three because those guys have missed it all along. Let me just jump it up a little bit. Let's go for seven. And no, it wasn't because he was thinking the number of completion is perfection is seven. Sorry. That probably wasn't even crossing his mind. I think he was raising the bar up a little bit. And again, the context was church discipline, and uh, they had already been arguing about what? Who's the greatest? And boy, I bet you in an argument over who's the greatest, let me ask you a question. In an argument in your house over whether your opinion's right or their opinions, uh, the other person's opinion's right, and you get all in your pride, is there hurt feelings at that moment? Oh, yeah. I guarantee you there are some hurt feelings going on in those 12. As Jesus says, you need to be like a little child. They're probably looking at each other saying, man, I wish I could knock that guy's head off. I'm fairly sure that true repentance hadn't broken out by now. Fairly sure there was still some animosity going on. What do you think? And Jesus says, okay, if you have a problem with your brother, go to him and talk to him in private. I bet bet it couldn't get over fast enough, this little message, for them to all go, hey, man, you offended me. Will you please? Please. You know, when you said that, that wasn't very nice. can even see that Peter would have been thinking well I've already addressed this with that guy that we were arguing about I've already addressed this with James he's my brother constantly fought with this guy forever or it's Andrew sorry not James James John Andrew Peter how many times how many times do I need to forgive him Peter was realizing here, as Jesus says this, that you've got to go to Him and you've got to ultimately there needs to be reconciliation, right? Restoration should happen. That's what the point of church discipline is, right? It's really all about reconciliation and restoration and having people walk and enjoy God, right? And Peter was realizing, I can't hold on to these sins that my brothers have done to me. But he was wearied by the amount of time that people were sinning against him. How many of you were sinned against this week? All of us. And you can see Peter is still thinking too much about though himself. And I want you to understand something. You see it in this verse, and you don't you don't see it right away. But you know how I know he's thinking too much of himself? Because the whole parable says you're thinking too much of yourself. Way too much of yourself. And not big enough about God. He was seeing his brother's sin against him as more than his own sin against Jesus. When we're struggling with forgiveness and bitterness in our hearts... We will begin to ask the question, how much more am I going to have to put up with this person? Did you hear me? How much longer, how many more times am I going to have to forgive this person before they finally get it and they stop treating me bad? Isn't that what we do? I mean, be honest, isn't that what we do? The problem is, is that we're too focused on ourselves at that moment. Way too focused on ourselves at that moment. Friends, our society is especially bad at this thing, isn't it? Forgiveness. We live in a world that is often offended by anything and everything all the time we walk around as offended people can't believe you pulled out in front of me that's why do you think there's so much road rage we 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 are constantly looking out at the world thinking they're here to serve me and why aren't they And so we walk around in bitterness and unforgiveness and judgmental hearts, and we're constantly, this is our world, isn't it? But Peter was a disciple, and he knew that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, how many times do you want me to forgive you? Forgive him, seven times? Look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered and said to him, I did not say to you seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Whoa. What did he do with the bar? (laughs) What did he do with the bar? Three times was okay for the society, seven times was okay with Peter's mind. And he says, nope, 490 times. 490 times. Seven. 490 times. That's insane. 490 times somebody pulls out in front of me and they say, I'm sorry. And I'm so say, Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. Go, Go ahead. No. Really? My wife says something to me that offends me. Four hundred and ninety times I'm supposed to go ahead and let it go and love her. Come on. She can't learn? She can't learn yet? It's been twenty-five years, baby. I've forgotten at that moment who God is. And I've definitely forgotten who I am. Jesus' answer here is far beyond what Peter had suggested. We see that this is a case where Peter's love for his brothers was far smaller than it needed to be. Jesus takes the Jewish tradition and the standard and Peter's standard and says, nope, it's way more. Way more. Way more. Way, 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 way more. (laughs) Oh, the irony of what's happening in all this unfolding. Because how many times had Peter sinned against Jesus probably in that three years? Countless times. Countless times. He had just told Jesus just a little bit before, you will never go to the cross. Yowzer! The one who was going to die for him. You just told the Lord God incarnate, you're not going to do something. He says, 70 times 7, Peter. It should have crushed Peter, shouldn't it? It should crush us too. Because I'm fairly sure nobody in here is perfect on this forgiveness thing. I'm fairly sure that none of us in this room are quick to forgive. What I mean by that is, is immediately you go, oh, no problem. Are you all like that? Is anybody in here that just like, I do that all the time, no problem. You can say mean the thing to me, no problem. no, no it's, it's no big deal. Jesus' point was not start counting, by the way. When you get to 490 times, that's the time to start unforgiveness and bitterness. Can you imagine? You got check marks going on with your wife. 489, one more time. 490, you're done! That's it! You did it again! 490 times, you're out of here. You're either going to change now or I'm gone. Do you know how many times I've heard that in counseling? I'm just being honest. Not 490 specifically, but the idea that I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried, I've forgiven, I've forgiven, I've forgiven, I've forgiven. I'm so thankful for my wife. You know why? Not only does the Spirit work through her to forgive, she also has a horrible memory. And I do too. That's why we get along so great. (laughs) We'll offend each other two or three days ago. We might have said sorry, or at least we stopped doing it and thinking it. And we get so busy, It was like, oh. Praise the Lord, she forgets. And I forget. Is that not true? Any of y'all else like me? I am so thankful. Y'all that have good memories, y'all are Doomed. You are doomed. (laughs) You're going to walk around with a list a mile long if you're not careful. That's not love, is it? 1 Corinthians 13, love does not keep a record of wrongs. He's focused more here, though Jesus is, on the heart of the disciples he knows he knows they got this bitterness problem going on in their hearts he knows their wicked tendencies he knows they're just flesh he knows it he knows it look at the last verse of our section 35 if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart from your heart You he went to the heart I did you go to the heart you're going to get what the king gave to the other people if you don't forgive them from your heart. Yo, there should have been like everybody should have been weeping and gnashing of teeth by the end of this thing. The problem we're all faces face our pain and our feelings blind us to the love of God and how we should feel view our fellow believers. Our hearts understand and are focused far more on how people treat us than how we treat Jesus. That's it. That's it. So Jesus begins to illustrate this, and he raises the bar up and says, this is the expectation, let me show you who your heart is, what your heart's about. And he gives this parable. Neat parable, right? The parable is, Jesus is an absolute master storyteller. The, the, the parable, as you get into it, you're, you're going in one direction and he just whacks you. And you end up going the other direction. And then you boom, back the other direction. Like, you're thinking, okay, this is going this direction, and he's trying to say this, and then, boom! And then he goes back the other way, and it's the way he tells it. It's By the time you're into the story and you finish the story, you're like, wow, that was deep. What a story! The parable here is introduced in verse 23. Notice... For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his slaves. What? The characteristics of the kingdom have to do with some story here of a king settling accounts with a slave. Those that are in the kingdom and will be in the kingdom must understand this truth and apply this truth, and if not, you won't be in the kingdom. Jesus' parable here had three main scenes to it. Three main scenes. Let's cover the scenes real quick. First, the king's extravagant forgiveness of his servants. His extravagant forgiveness of his servants. Look at verse 23 again. Y'all following along? Everybody's paying attention, right? A king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves, when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell on the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Wow, that's a neat story, isn't it? It's a beautiful story. Governing officials here often settled accounts. They would collect certain things and then they were owed or they were obligated to give the tax or the stuff to the leaders, the governing officials. Actually, Herod had done something very similar in building projects all over the area. He had had governors and those governors would go collect money and they would do certain things and they had to pay it to Herod to build all these things, right? Right? If you were one of those that would collect or get money and somehow had large amounts, if you misappropriated those funds, you'd be in a lot of trouble, wouldn't you? But this was just a normal story. They would have understood this. Now, the parable needs to be identified for who the characters represent. So let's think through who are the representatives. Who are the persons or the... Portions in the story. First, the king. Who's the king associated with? God the Father. How do I know? Well, it says it in the last verse. Verse 35. God the Father, Heavenly Father, is the king. says it. The servant with the big debt would be who? In the context, guess who it is? A disciple or Peter. It would be Peter. Why would it be Peter? Because he was the one that asked the question. Poor Peter got himself in trouble again. But it would apply to who? All the disciples. Right? Who was the servant's servant? Later on in the next scene. That would be another disciple that we would interact with. Right? And this could be you got the others that come and tell on them. Tell on, tell the king. Who's the ones telling the king? Who are they? I'll give you a, 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 a. I think, I think, church discipline was just talked about, right? And what were they supposed to do? They were supposed to gather together, and then they were to pray, and God would be with them in their decision to discipline. So here's the confrontation. But the confrontation is over what? Unforgiveness. Huh? Church discipline for unforgiveness. Is ultimately what's happening here? Peter comes and says, "How many times am I supposed to forgive?" And then he gets confronted for having too low of a view of God and himself. Interesting. What an amazing Lord we serve. (laughs) The first scene shows the extravagant forgiveness of the Heavenly Father, right? You see that little phrase, 10,000 talents? You know how much that was? 75 years of salary. Another commentator said, $10 million? $10 million in today's world. Guess what that means for me and you and everybody in this room? We're in trouble. No way we could pay that back, could we? The judgment would have made it possible to pay only a small portion. He had not the ability to pay it back. It was an impossible debt. He couldn't get it. What has he just done with the bar of what's required by God? Raised it real high, basically showed Peter was what? Falling way short. Therefore, he was sinning against God, had a high view of himself. He was actually what? Peter was in the condition where he had that great debt before God. It's an amazing way that he is turning this around on the very person asking the question. Peter didn't get it right. He was way too thinking way too high of himself when he said seven times. Way too high of himself. Notice the consequence of the debt. It included, it included the effects on the servants of the family. They were to be sold too to pay off the debt. But take special note of the servant's plea after the king renders his judgment. He says, Have patience with me. And I will repay you everything. You realize that that's almost identical to what the guy that comes later says to him. It's almost identical. Same words almost. All but the everything at the end. And then the king appears to what? Forgive the debt. Establishing it as a loan not required to be paid back. In other words, it's a bad debt. It's going to just sit there on the books. It's a bad debt. that's just going to sit there. Look at R9 on your credit. Just sits there. But no consequences. R9, no consequences. Boy, we have that problem in our society, don't we? We don't have to pay back our debts, but it's okay. We'll just let it go. Be careful. This scene illustrates, though, how gracious and loving our God is because he is representative of the king, that he would be forgive this great debt. It's, it's obviously pointing to our own debt, right? Our debt of sin. And how much we deserve judgment, don't we? You know, we say this little phrase, how you doing? Better than I deserve. Do we mean it? Do we understand it? We are better than we deserve, Right? All of us right now, we deserve what? Judgment forever. All of us. That's us. Next, we see immediately after this, notice how quickly the scene changes. Oh, sorry. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying exactly what he had just said Have patience with me, I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Do you see the jerk? I mean, you're going in this direction, and you're thinking, oh, what a beautiful picture of compassion and love and gentleness, and bam! No, this is really a scene of somebody being really, really mean, really unkind. The slave finds a fellow slave right as he walked out. It says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves. I mean, he just got told that he's forgiven, And he turns around and walks out and blasts one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. How much is the hundred denarii? It's a hundred days' work. Seventy-five years, a hundred days. That's a pretty dramatic difference, isn't it? Almost like 490 to seven. You see it? And what's even more amazing is look what he does to the poor dude. He doesn't give him an opportunity to say anything, he immediately begins to choke him. Choke him! Give me my money back! Can you imagine? He just got forgiven. Give me my money back. It's crazy, isn't it? That's the picture. I love you. You're forgiven. It's okay. I'll show compassion. Give me my money back. It's nuts, isn't it? I know. I look like a crazy man. But I think you're getting the point, right? Something's wrong with that servant. What do you think? something majorly wrong with that servant that's going to choke the person over a pennies compared to this giant debt that he's just gotten forgiven. Have patience with me. I'll repay you. Tough. You're going to jail. Tough. Get over it. You're going to pay me every penny back. Oh, wow. Let me ask you a question, folks. Is this convicting at all? It should be. It should be extremely convicting. Because who is the servant and who is God? That's the point. God has forgiven us so much. If you're in Christ, if you've repented and believed in Him, nothing any person has done to you will even compare to what you have done to God. Not even a little bit. It's like a drop in the bucket what somebody will do to you. In any case, compared to what you have done to God. The worst things that have happened to you in your life... Pale in comparison to what you have done to God. And if you don't get this, you really don't know how much God loves you. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Then we move to the last scene. Look at it. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have been had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way? that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that it was owed him. Is this not frightening? This is frightening, isn't it? What is the consequence of unforgiveness? Being tortured until you pay back everything that you've ever done to the king this is this, this is unbelievable is this just yes it's just it's righteous this is a righteous king a righteous king the king gave a strict judgment a strict judgment And this is what we deserve. And listen, to make sure that it was very clear to the disciples, Jesus doesn't mince any words. He basically says, and the king is God. That's the next thing. It's the application. Look at it. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. I don't think I'm having a hard time figuring out that the king is God. Are you? I'm not, ha- I'm not having a hard time figuring out that the disciples represent the servants, right? I'm not having a hard time figuring out the story at all. I know who it represents, right? So what was her problem? What was the disciples' problem? I would argue the problem of the disciples is the same problem that we have, and that is that we don't have a big enough view of God's love for us. We don't don't comprehend fully just what it means for Jesus to die on that cross for us. We don't understand how often we've sinned against God, do we? Listen. One of the things that I find myself doing is dealing with the sins that are external. Do you understand what I mean by the external? The ones that affect people and everybody know about, but the ones that are in deep in my heart, those you know, God lets those go. Do you understand what I mean by that? But do you understand that all of all of that in your heart that's going on that you're not honoring God with? all of that deserves judgment some of us are really good at cleaning up the external sins but we don't even look at these things here and so what happens is is that we think that people should treat us like we treat them because i'm externally nice to you i say thank you why don't you I hold a door for you, why don't you? I show you respect, why don't you? But see, the problem is is that we've forgotten that we've got so much sin against other people that's always going on that it cost Jesus everything when he died on the cross to take our punishment. Hear me, hear me. And again, this is so important. We're trying to fix also our society. We're trying to fix our society of all the hurt and pain that's going on in our society. Isn't that right? We're trying to fix it. We're trying to get people to please stop being so mean to each other. We're saying that in our thoughts. The problem is is that we're fixing it with our external things. They're not understanding how much God loves them, so they're never going to really do it. Do you understand? Without the gospel, and without somebody being born again and understanding the glory of the gospel, they're never going to forgive anybody. And you can't either. The disciples were getting it though, right? By the way, listen. Jesus has already said this in Matthew 6. He said, For if you forgive others for your, their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgression. Uh, he said that in 6. So now the question is, does this mean that we're forgiven by God because we forgive others? Trick question. Do you for are you forgiven by God because you forgive others? No, that's not what that means. It means that if you haven't been born again and trusted in God's forgiveness of you, then you will not forgive other people. That's what it means. If you've really understood that God forgives you and that He loves you, and you knew how sinful you were against Him, and you get it, you get, oh, (laughs) I should be in hell. Then you will forgive other people, right? Where does unforgiveness hatch? Where does it start? It starts in a heart that doesn't know that God forgave them. Do you know how much God loves you? I know this is a this is one of those yeah, I get it. I know that. If our life does not reflect a forgiveness to other people, then we might not really get it. Do you understand? If you're not loving other people and showing forgiveness to other people, then you might not really get it. You might have these head facts that you can lay out there, but you walk around in bitterness towards other people, then the problem is, is that you don't know how much God loves you. I got good news for you. You ready? Jesus Christ came into the world to die for that sin too. Hear me, beloved. Jesus came into the world to die for the sin of unforgiveness. What do we do? We become that little child and we say, That's me. I need you. Forgive me. My account is impossible. Will you please? forgive me I owe you in figurative language billions of dollars my sin if you pile it up you couldn't even see the top of it but you came into the world to die for my sin and I trust you Folks, that's what we do, right? That's the gospel. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in our ability to be this above it all seven forgiving times. We say, Christ Jesus, you are my hope and you're my only hope. Help me to be merciful like you are to them, to me. Right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. As we come to the Lord's Tupper, Lord, we pray that you will help us to realize just how much Christ loved us and, and what he did for us on the cross. And Lord, we pray that you will help us to reflect on the, the appeasement of your wrath that took place at the cross when Christ Jesus was crushed for our sins. The countless times that we sinned against you, you loved us and you paid our debt And he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might have the righteousness of God in Christ. What a good God you are. What a good Savior you are. God, we know this truth. We trust in you. We trust in Christ. And we ask that you forgive us. As we come, Lord, we pray that you forgive us. Not that we haven't been made right with you, but that that we've sinned against you again because we live in these bodies of death and our minds and our hearts are still prone to sin and prone to wonder. So, Father, we pray that you forgive us and we pray that you help us to remember again just how much you love us in Christ and help us to take this Lord's Supper in a way that brings glory and honor to you, remembering what Christ did. We pray this in the matchless name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.